sits in the dark. Welcome to Work of Heart. On today's show, we have part two of our interview with Jody Lloyd, aka Trillian Branson. Jody is a hip hop artist from New Zealand for whom the word prolific is a massive understatement. In this episode, we delve into his more politically charged work, most of which is about as alternative as it gets. We also discuss how consciousness is transmitted through art and how training in the martial arts affects our likelihood of finding ourselves in a violent situation. We are also joined by my dear friend, Mr. QED, who is an excellent artist, musician, martial artist, and oriental medicine practitioner, and also one of my dearest friends. So, I'm sort of interested in these like deeper sides to your motivations and, and that kind of thing. Um, we ran into each other recently and, and spoke about uh, some of the work you're doing at the moment in relation to sound and that kind of thing. Um, but I'd also like to know, in terms of your history, was there a point where your motivations became, I'd say, more spiritual, more esoteric? Is this something that's always been like underlining uh, your your creativity? Or did something happen sort of, you know, around this loops of love time and, and since you've gone back and forth that has changed the way that you produce work? Mm, interesting, interesting question. I think I've always been, used music as my therapy. I'm like, the listener is the psychiatrist. So in that sense, I've learned and I'm not shy to go deep within expressing myself within words. But the whole musical stuff and using sound as a therapy kind of is a new thing. But but then looking back on the way that I make music and I enjoy music is kind of obvious to see how that mu- music has always been a meditative process. Lots of times when I'm working on music late into the night, I'll just listen to the same piece of music that I'm working on over and over and over in headphones until I can't I can't stay awake anymore. And I'm just like, conscious me thinks that I'm listening to it because on a production level I'm honing and refining, but then there's like the subconscious thing that is locked in this meditation and kind of freedom from the outside world that I'm the only one in the world that is getting high off this track right now. I'm sure you've both experienced it. Mm. But I don't know, not to get too esoteric about it, uh, but I think as well that something happens with human consciousness. When, when you engage your consciousness with a particular thing, or a particular shape of experience, that consciousness, I think, gets embedded in that thing somehow. So I think when you're listening to your own music, uh, because you understand it, because it came out of you, uh, you um, the jags and, and the things that are irregular about it, you don't really notice so much when you hear it. But as you listen to it more and you put more consciousness into it, you can start to hear them a little bit better. But I think also it starts to smooth out the object for other people, if that makes sense. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's why I think the, the more people that listen to something, the more power it has. And that's why a lot of these popular things, yeah, like they, they do create their own momentum, but it's a momentum of mm-hmm. consciousness sitting on the track of this thing. Uh, and we do it when we're creating stuff. Uh, it's the first step, I think. Hmm. Yeah, never, never looked at it like that or heard it be. Yeah, I try and put cushions in everything. Like uh, I've talked about this before on, on a previous podcast, but uh, one of my favorite painters, Mark Rothko, uh, he made these beautiful sort of, you know Rothko? Uh, he made these beautiful, um, massive, uh, just simple tone paintings. Like, it might just be a wash of blue with a red band on it or a band of red and a band of blue or something like that. But in his life, he was a very depressed man uh, and he ended up uh, killing himself at the end of his life. And uh, little kids will go into the Tate and they'll stand in front of his paintings and they'll feel really sad. You wouldn't kill yourself at the beginning of your life. Yeah, I realised that after <laughs> I said it, but <coughs> I was hoping that it would slide by. <laughs> a bit of the old uh, tautology. Uh, but yeah, so uh, there's something in these things, uh, in these objects themselves. It's not the colour. It's not, it's not anything physical about it. There's just something... The some intention f- of the time. Yeah, or well, the consciousness just mm. seeped into it. His sadness when he was making yeah. this thing is just leached into it. And uh, I, th- I think that happens with anything that you concentrate on, and we're making things out of pure imagination. So, mm. yeah, I, th- I think there's some desire to fill it with, with awareness or mm. something. I'm reading a, a book about sound healing at the moment, and the guy who wrote the book, he says the same thing that intention, putting intention when you're performing or creating the music translates through to the listener and he's talking about in a recorded sense that the intention that I put into even an instrumental piece of music gets translated when you play it on your stereo in a completely different atmosphere. Totally. Like, that's a really weird thing. Hmm. I don't think it's that weird at all. Like, because uh, it's a representation. If you're really angry and someone takes a picture of you when you're really angry, if you look at that picture, you'll see that, you know, the anger. And you, if you look at it intently and try and understand the, fe- the feeling behind the, the face, you can experience it as, almost as much as if you're there in the moment. Like, it's... Yeah, it's it's somehow imprinted into that thing. Uh, yeah, so it happens all the time. Like it, it's memory. It's. But you could have an intention that is, like, say, take "Lonely Road" for example. Mm. The words and the feeling of the song, or um, the intention, whilst making the song, could be different than what the words and the music portray yeah and I think often that makes for the most beautiful songs because like so one of my favorite bands Radiohead uh, so much of their lyrical content and the, the musical phraseology is is really melancholic but the 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 king of the songs is usually major and the, the modal parts are usually the brighter parts of a modality so there's this strange blend between like melancholy and and this this other feeling, a feeling of joy, or like, but it's yeah, it's somewhere in there, but it's not in the music. It's mm. in, yeah, it's it's deeper than that. 
And I think that makes for beautiful art. Like, if everything lines up, then you get uh, melodrama or something. If, if some things line up and then there are skews and oppositions, then you get, like, tragedy or, or something, um, yeah, like pure drama or something. Uh, yeah, I, I think that's something to aim for. I try and aim mm. for that when I'm making music. And I find it interesting, the reaction in the listener. So um, Lonely Road is an example of this type of music, but one of my favourite artists is Fortnite Productions, which is DJ Wasabi and MC Siphon, who's also known as MC Purple Duck, our mate Steve. And this music is depressing. Like he wrote a lot of it in in states of depression, but also states of... Like the, the last album, it was just entitled Death. Every track on the album is a different aspect of death or a different take on death. It's, you know, it could be drowning, it could be poison or acid or whatever. And he was, the more I listen to it, what I gained from it is that he's exploring the nature of his own like deep-seated anxiety and deep-seated depression and, and I guess fear of death um, and, and whatever it means for him. But when I listen to it, I particularly like listening to it on grey days while I'm driving in my car. And when I listen to it, it makes me feel good. Uh, particularly if I'm feeling a bit melancholic myself. You are floating in a peaceful ocean. You're swimming down the bottom with the bright fish. Your leg catches on the rock.
um, like for example, when I was at my most depressed and suicidal, I was reading uh, American was it American Splendor, the the comic by um shit, I can't remember the writer's um, name. Picard. Yeah, Picard. Yeah. Now, like before that point, I really didn't like depressing things. Like I generally didn't like sort of depressing musical plays and stuff like that. And while I was in that state, I was reading this, and my brother kept on being like, "Why are you reading that? It's so it's so bad." And I remember reading it and thinking to myself, like I was some part of it I really enjoyed. Like I guess this shared resonant experience with the person who I'm. Um, the art that I'm being presented with. Um, another part of me, I remember thinking, like, I, uh, is this what I've got to look forward to in my life? Like, is he mapping out my future? Like, am I going to be like this guy? Which um, clearly I didn't turn out that way. But um, there's something funny about that, like um, this idea that, you know, you're imbuing consciousness or anger or whatever the feeling is, or like metal, heavy metal music, for example. Like, why do people, like my housemate Loki, who's a really lovely like a soft dude in a lot of ways um why is it that like dark deep crazy heavy metal metal sometimes makes him relaxed you know what i mean like like what yeah what's going on there do you have any thoughts on on this or do you have any thoughts on this process that's because when when they were making it they had a relaxing intention (laughs) <laughs> well, I, 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 I doubt that with some of the heavy metal music, although unless it, it relaxed. The, yeah, I don't know if they'd set that intention particularly. But um. Well, so in Loki's case, I like to think of it as like a, a, like a steady cam. Like the, the, so he's got this, this softness and this beautiful surface of joy and care and intimacy and such. Uh, but for that to fro- float freely and not get too overly influenced by sharp things in the environment, it needs some counterbalance. Hmm. Uh, so that's the way I think about a lot of the way people experience these kind of negative things. It's like the counterbalance in a steady count. Uh, or like, uh, you know, people disagree with this stuff uh, in, in a canon of science, but like homeopathy or like sound cancellation. You know, like if, if you have the right... If you have the right frequency of a sound, then it will just cancel out that sound somewhere else. It, it can become almost silent. So if you put if you put a certain intentionality through a human being, then maybe it can cancel out that intentionality rather than um, hmm. sometimes sound can yeah you can it can add or it can subtract depending on how they fit together. Another way of looking at it maybe is that the sound like white noise, the sound of a waterfall or the sea can really cleanse your body and cells and vibrate everything all at the same and then start all over again. And maybe that's that kind of intense heavy metal type music is a bit like white noise hmm. and to, to the brain. And like, um, so we've talked a lot about, so sometimes if you've got tension in your body, uh, what the muscle actually wants to do is, is, um, contract to its fullest. And, um, there's like, so, uh, and then once you've contracted to its fullest, you'll actually get release. Right. Um, so perhaps there's a similar reason with like dubstep, for example, or heavy metal, like there's that feeling of like, when I dance to dubstep, it's, it, it resembles anger. It resembles violence, but it feels different it's like it's it's funky violets yeah but it's like and it and again it, it maybe it, it it contracts these parts of your consciousness and, and parts of yourself that that want to contract but don't get to do that very often in metal i guess would be a similar hmm. thing but you seem like you wanted to say something 
Oh, that's cool. I'm thinking about what you said. It's very interesting. Um, but uh, I was actually thinking some other part of that. Uh, what you just said. Anyway, it's something to... Waterfalls. Ah, yeah, waterfalls, yeah. So one of the theories I've heard about that is that um, the sound inside the womb um, resembles white noise, uh, which is why babies uh, really like that tone. Um, and so I wonder if there could be a number of... Um, a number of correlations between certain styles of music. I mean, why is it that I just fucking hate a lot of pop music or, or certain kinds of um, country or whatever, whatever it is? Like, uh, well, actually, this is kind of maybe an interesting um, anecdote in relation to it. Like, I've never really liked country music and I've never really been into folky music that much, blah, blah, blah. Uh, I saw the movie... Um, Crazy Heart. You guys seen that? Jeff Bridges. Crazy Heart. So Jeff Bridges plays a, uh, a washed up sort of country star. Well, when we say washed up, I mean like more of these, you know, alcohol and just that sort of washed up. But he still has some sort of fame. Um, and it's a beautiful movie. I highly recommend it. It's really fucking lovely. And after seeing that movie, now I put that soundtrack on and, and like I like that kind of country music and it's and it's just given me enough of a bridge between those things to uh, appreciate it in a different way um, and sometimes I think about like uh, TV shows I used to watch when I was a kid because looking back I realized that I was actually quite a depressed and or like frustrated child in many ways and felt very like uh, uneased about the world and um, certain TV shows remind me of that state and put me straight back into that that feeling so yeah, I'm just wondering how many of these music What tastes. shows like Full House? Uh, kind of more like really bad Aussie, oh, like like um, yeah, bad Aussie soap opera Home stuff. Home and away kind of. That kind but of but w- older like like uh, doctors that flying Extended? doctors and oh, yeah. shit. Yeah, flying doctors. Yeah, I don't know like that. that. You know, like I wasn't just allowed to watch TV. Bad shit. Anyway, but um yeah, I'm wondering what the relationship between these music genres and why people mm. taste for that. Well, I have a, a off-the-top-of-my-head theory about it. Go for it. Uh, I think a lot of the time when one can't appreciate an art, it's uh, because of the, st- the stigmatic meaning of that art. Oh, yeah. And so if something forces you to look pa- past what you think that art means, then you can start to see the human qualities of it and the, the skill of it and the, the way that it relates to life because it's not hmm. about... Yeah, I don't know, being a redneck and, um, you know, beating each other up. Yeah. If you see music like that, like, if you see heavy music like that, then you'll never like it. Yeah. Uh, but if you approach it from the point of view of, like, it's, like, modern classical music and it, it's arpeggiation, it's, like, it's mathematical and blah, 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 if you look at it like that, then you can start to pull it apart and appreciate it other than from the, yeah, from the bias or the whatever you call it. From the cheese. The... The cheesiness, yeah, or whatever. Yeah, the stereotype of it. But you could also um, look at it like a lot of music I don't like. I just um, immediately put it into the comedy section of my mind, and then it becomes kind of you can just laugh at it. Okay. Instead of instead of wanting to turn it off. Yeah, I do that with really bad films, but I think the actors have done that too. So I, I, you know. <laughs> <laughs> intention and all <laughs> yeah and I guess also because there are good things and bad things in, in most genres you know like so I'm, I'm sure if you heard a, a, a really good 
country song that was to your taste, you would like it. Which I did, yeah. But because you're floating around just hearing other people's taste and Mm. they tend to particularly like that thing, so maybe they reinforce that stereotype or that thing. Totally. So, yeah. Which is super common in hip-hop. Like, And it's that really funny thing, like one, my entire life, um, when people find out I'm an MC, it's surprising to them. And their idea of what hip-hop is or, or what it would be is so far removed <laughs> from what it actually is, which, which is, yeah, I guess, an unfortunate consequence of the commercialization and, and the popularization of pretty much any, of, any art form. It just takes on this caricature of, of what it is that makes the most money and then, um, yeah, becomes misunderstood. Mm. Um, which I guess can also be applied to like spiritual concepts and, and these things like sound healing you're talking about, like um, even, you know, even in this conversation, not to get too, <laughs> too esoteric or not to get too spiritual, there's this feeling of, of needing to uh, tamper it down so that people can even listen to what it is that's being said sometimes. I'm not saying that this is what was going on with you, but I know for myself um, that I find it a shame how many things uh, in life um, that are beautiful I can't express, uh, I say freely is probably the word I could use, like freely to a person who really could benefit from understanding it or hearing it um, just because certain stigmas and you need these little backdoor entries. Um, you know, if I had the crazy heart for, yeah, well, there you go. That backdoor entry perhaps is has its own stigma. Uh, but AIDS has apparently got a vaccine now, so... so we'll see but um yeah uh with what you're into now i know that there might be some parts of what you're doing at the moment that you can't speak about uh due to oh we didn't we didn't get to all the political stuff the political stuff uh in relation to the music oh like my entire collection of oh yeah of, of dozens of political songs now i'm gonna put you on the spot too because it's been questioned as to um, your true feelings about these subjects. <laughs> what motivated Who you? Who questioned? Mm, I'll leave that for the moment. <laughs> um, yeah, what, what motivated you to make, if, if the listeners don't know, um, they can check out your YouTube. Does your YouTube account still have all those videos mm. up? Yeah. So you made an album's worth of pretty much every conspiracy theory topic you can think of or you can imagine. Um, more than I knew were, were out there <laughs> when I saw them. Um, but, yeah, what were your motivations at the time for making this music, um, like in terms of dissemination of information or or because it's a popular idea or concept? What was the, what was the motivation? All of it. Um, like I'd be lying to say that I wasn't doing it because I was trying to reach an audience. Um, I was doing it because... Um, I felt that there was no one else doing this type of music to get this information to a large audience of people in a clever, (laughs) in a clever, succinct way. And I just saw the power of YouTube at the time. Yeah. And I'm like, well, I've got to, there are all these things that I feel strongly about and I've got to put them into songs. And I pretty much made a list of the things that I felt were the most wrong with the world at the time. Mm -hmm. 
and and the most beneficial for people if they change their lives around that that these aspects. Mm. Um, and I pretty much spent a year writing these songs and making videos for them. I have a headache. All right, turn off your telephone. I don't understand. <laughs> It's like the hissing of pots and the cooking of cells Twisting in knots like the book of the cows It's the clotting of minds, it's the fight with the heart The rotting of time, it's the light in the dark More than plain rumour, it's a brain tumor state My strains duplicate, pains accumulate Mutation of weights, the death wish of all cells It's the personal assistant with the whistles and bells Started off with a clock to replace the wristwatch Then a torch radio camera in case this is pox Now we can send clips off from clip tops to inbox In a satellite locator in place to assist it's the all-in-one ultimate go-go gadget That's why we never leave it behind, it's all so magic The toy has declared you hexed 500,000 brain tumors a year, who's next? My dome is splitting, it's a bleak disease Cause my phone's emitting these frequencies Sleepless nights and a star in my eye Who's gonna own up to this fly in the pie? Our government's plan is to leave us high and dry And the FDA policy is to lie and deny It goes in one ear, but not out the other I acquired Alzheimer's and I doubt I'll recover Who's responsible for the wear and tear on my brain? I know that I'm here, but they declare me insane I phoned there to complain, but was wasting my time On hold for an hour and off to wait in the line It radiates all the time, it raises slice day and night EMF is worse than ultraviolet rays of light Loading the runway of ice before I made it flight And one cat trading life with the plague of mice We're not brave, we're vague and afraid to fight We've turned grey and face paler than a shade of white David Icke gave us sight, light and great advice But who's gonna save the children of the neighbor's wife When they make a lie, they'll conjure up a wild excuse Giving cell phones to kids is just child abuse We think it's all fine with that extra talk time But phone created a suicide next to chalk line It's death, it's war crime, genocide, a walk by The fork and right eye, you're an egg and pork pie Half the world has a cell phone, that's over 3 billion Don't call me, I will answer, but you can call me And I think to myself, uh, what the hell am I doing here? My dome is splitting, it's a bleak disease And Vodafone is committing indecencies You speak too fast. Hands up, who uses Bluetooth? Research the truth, that you refuse screws loose. You may as well do a headstand today in a bedpan. You're a dead man talking, a grenade in your left hand. We're falling down the ladders of a nation of snakes. The patron of saints can't heal impatient mistakes. Awake to the waning of the birds and the bees. It's the realm of EMS that are murdering these. It's an industry blinded by senseless green centipede that stings us with endless fees. Damage occurs even with the shortest of use. Phone makers want insurance, but insurers refuse. It's a dirty business. Providers have death on their books. They provide us with lies, the usual method of crooks.
The advertising is based on sensation The flags are rising on the plate to end nations Your cell phone is harmful, there's proof by induction Causing nerve cell, blood cell and DNA destruction This epidemic has only begun You should recognize your phone as the smoking gun Your cell phone is a microwave transmitter And should carry a cancer warning Studies have found that cell phone users are 240% more prone to brain tumors Your living cells are programmed to shut down at the smallest appearance of electromagnetic radiation and continued usage will cause irreversible damage. Now I understand you well. I have learned a great deal. I can't use it. It seemed like with the, the output you had, I, I was like, fuck, you must have been non-stop on that shit. And then I met Hugo, actually, mm-hmm. um, within that within that year um we'd been myspace friends when he was in england under his um jonathan swift character i i don't know this jonathan swift character i'm not aware of yes, it used to be called, called jonathan swift there you go and i met hugo and he was like yeah i met you on i didn't know who he was he's like yeah yeah myspace jonathan swift you know, and they're like, oh yeah, I remember you. Um, so we we sort of um, hung out one day, and I said, "Would you like to be on one of my songs?" And he was like, "Yeah, I'd love to." And then so I'm like, "Well, how about the one on climate change?" Hmm. Climate science is like buying lotteries It's mostly filled with lies about the rising of the seas Dying of the trees and melting of Mount Everest And the funding goes to he or she has belted out the cleverest They use CGI footage to deceive us into fear But the ice caps store and freeze both in a year If CO2 warms and controls the atmosphere Then why is this winter been the coldest head in years? Science isn't black and white, in fact the shades of grey So what motive is behind the goal for cap and trade to stay? Is this a great mistake to make? Does ruin predate decay? And if we obey and play the tune, will humans fade away? I guess the bubbles down to who should we believe these evil puppet leaders who dutifully deceive it's all a bit of a chance with any political stance i wouldn't trust the cartel to criminalize but there's no plans we're doing the same pitiful dance to the same old tune these insane old dudes want our major gain hold soon research the truth and send to anyone you care about this lurch is proof agenda 21 is here and now the spirit is out resist our task is to provoke scenes and this will twist away the mask and lift the smoke screens it's 2010 welcome to the debate the irresolvable problem that we're choosing to make the central dividing issue of the human race are we or are we not abusing the space see i wish that was the issue that we'd go through but it's not because we've got these egos who seem hell-bent on reducing the real tone to a useless dummy spit about co2 now we know you are quite intelligent liking evidence before you get hyped with sentiment i don't like to be yelling it but it's time to be telling it you have all been distracted by the whitest of elephants why the hell is this highly irrelevant single gas molecule out of all the tiniest elements consumed us as humans both sides of the belly of an Ouroboros playground fight a futile impotence and indolence seems to be the worst kind of monster disabling minds ever heard of divide and conquer it's tried and tested killed the tribes before us now it's killing your spirit within all the online forums the forums for greens forums for truth forums to expose the new world order and spew violent rage and the disorderly view not realizing all the while the new world order is you that's right i said it too late for a second edit too late for conspiracy types to blame the red letters while oil men laugh and keep the same text fed at these strange times 
time school make for strange bedfellas And the green screen statistics that they don't understand And the truth is yell numbers while standing on plundered land In a wonderland where both sides have disowned minds at their own I love Al Gore, I like Alex Jones I have to show the deep vision from mystics Remind everyone the ecosystem's holistic We need holistic solutions, not dumb facts Intellectual cul-de-sacs and endless debates about one gas, one tax One fact above all, I have to stress it The more you obsess about something, the more you manifest it So choose your focus, frame your voice Heaven and hell are right now, make your choice The times have changed, there's a mouse at large Parliament House is now a house of cards Consent in science trends To present any proof Man-made climate change Let's hear no more talk of the science is settled when it turns out some of the principal scientists behave as if they own the very question of global warming when they seek to bar opposing research from peer-reviewed journals to embargo journals they can't control when they urge each other to delete damaging emails before freedom of information takes hold, when they talk of hiding the decline, when they actually speak of destroying the primary data, and when now we do learn that the primary data has been lost or destroyed, that climate science and global warming advocacy have become so entwined, so meshed into a mutant creature, that separating alarmism from investigation, ideology from science, agenda from empirical study is well nigh impossible. Climate science has been shown to be, in part, a sub-branch of climate politics. Too many of the current leadership on global warming are more players than observers, gatekeepers, not investigators, angry partisans of some global re-engineering rather than the humble servants of the facts of the case. And he was like, yeah, great. I'll go and I'll start writing. And it took him about three months to eventually get round to coming round to record it. Um, in that time, he had already done his own rap news thing on, ah. on the same topic. Interesting. So I don't know if it's a coincidence, but I think he saw the success of what I, I was doing with the videos and the conspiracy type stuff. Yeah. And just applied it to another another concept. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, look, again, hip-hop, sampling. <laughs> Everything's a remix, as they would say. But when you were doing it, because I, I find with a lot of these things, they're alienating, I guess, to people who aren't open to them. Do you feel that you... Like, there's obviously a really large group of people who are into these things out there. Do you feel that you sort of got to connect with them or represent them in some way? Like, did you... Was this stuff well-received? It was a really interesting process, like really interesting uh, on some of the some of the topics i became and the the youtube comment section became sort of like a forum of people sharing their stories and people um i don't know it was just quite amazing and my fan kind of base grew from 
people who I thought were around my own age to um, these 50 plus year old women. Like no I'd look on the statistics for who, who were, were the most people who watched the video hmm. and it would be women 50 to 60. That's interesting. So there's a massive market of, of um, middle to upper. <laughs> I don't want to offend and, anyone. But. And most people were like, most of the new fans were fans who'd hated rap before. And they'd say, we don't, we never used, we don't like rap, but you're different. Yeah, because this is like, this is a special kind of thing. This is the message that yeah. I want to hear. Yeah. This is the message that I want the world to hear as well. Hmm. And it's really awesome that kind of a young person is making it within the realm of music that other young people are going to have access to and enjoy. Put the needle on the record, put the needle on the record, put the needle on the record when the drum beats go like this. The only way that a human being can get a bird flu or a swine flu is if it is injected in them. So how did we get swine flu then? It's been made in a factory and injected. To the record, cause the needle is defective And the needle breaks the record when the needle is the method For prevention of the fever, bringing death to the receiver There's no effort in believing that the method feeds the fever See the leader, diseases are invented in the lab One believes it, or reading recent mentions of the jab Centered in a grand scab of corruption and lies Injecting views of doom from newsroom into the public eye But now the floor has risen on a cause of autism Doctors show research and scores applaud with them It's mercury and vaccines, often there's more given Peace ignored and forbidden cause profit is war driven a score billion on vaccines alone and the government don't care they're always taxing the clones and the CDC is right behind this rolling cart part involved from the start in this evolving art a big farmer, big deception Obama, big karma enter wise Roach, Bayer and Baxter Healthcare all the sordid history with stacks of health scares you got HIV and bird flu mixed up in the shops I've been connecting the dots between the money that swaps conspiracy? yeah I sense a couple of plots if you never if you want to get the swine flu, don't go get the swine flu vaccine. There is one little word that could save your health. Just say no. Say no to the vaccine. And if the doctor says, then make him take it himself. Just say no. Say no to the vaccine. There is one little word that could save your health. Just say no. Say no to the vaccine. And if Obama says, then make him take it himself. Just say no. To the I don't need your prescription, I ain't got no affliction Corporate pharmaceutical teaming with politicians Put them on prescription, that should be our own decision Whether we want spending on vaccines or health and education Soon they enlist, the general populist They adding to the list, pharmaceutical benefits Yo, Alexa Finline, Glasgow Smith Klein Coffin margin fine, still ain't seen your disease Mac, how coffin bed or swine Your population linked with holding vaccines Rather let a product lapse and save some human beings now that is it coming to be So they wanna hear us when we running on the machine yeah. Another flu, yo, that ain't our biggest threat What about an aging population with no safety net? So we continue to believe everything we read There just ain't no taste in that you speak Weapons of trial and error We're smiling in terror at the doctor and nurse Take a hold of yourself and control of your health and say no No, why don't you go first? 
there's one little word that can save your house Just say no Say no to the vaccine If the doctor says yes. then make him take it himself Say no, no, no Say no to the vaccine There's one little word that can save your house Just say no Say no to the vaccine If Obama says then make him take it himself Just say no And how did you, uh, what was your process of, of I'd say, uh, discerning what information on these subjects was, um, was accurate or, or worth um, expanding, expounding, I think is the right word, um, mm. because yeah, it's a, it seems like it's rife with a whole bunch of different motivations and things. I guess I, wa- I wanted to keep things as kind of factual as possible and researched as possible but also put a little twists in as well um how so just like putting in my own opinions yeah or little traps I'm sure and think like mentioning Obama and stuff like that um because he doesn't directly relate to the, yeah, the topic that you might like be talking about. Like the song about vaccines, there's one, one, the chorus says, um, there's one little word, word that can save your health. Just say no. Say no to the vaccine. If the doctor says yes, make him take it himself. Just say no. Say no to the vaccine. So then in one of the chorus, I replaced the word doctor with Obama. If Obama says yes, make him take it himself. Yeah, sure. Um, have you have you uh, changed your perspective on any of those subjects, or do you feel like it's the information's pretty consistent and and um... hmm pretty pretty much pretty much my opinion on it everything's the same maybe the moon one. <laughs> Damn it! I want the moon. <laughs> like I like moon bases. What's, what's the moon one? Oh, not the not the one with Billy Wilson. Oh no! You, are you talking about um, that they never actually went to the moon? Is that? Is that oh idea? no! I still believe they never went to the moon. But um, they, I made a whole song about the moon when they when NASA sent a rocket to the moon, oh, like a bomb. Oh yeah yeah yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, so there was a whole song about them sending a bomb to the moon and what are they trying to do blow like knock the moon off course or whatever and fuck with the tides and yeah, shit that kind of stuff cool so you were you were um making some extrapolations uh or predictions about the possible outcomes yeah. of this event <laughs> yeah fair enough and interestingly because this is um something that um i also talked with hugo about and he did his own version of that song as well or a song about the same thing yeah um well the reason why i ask is because like i i went pretty deep into the conspiracy thing gee how long was it now it was quite a while ago it's before she had to so she about like eight years ago let's say eight or nine years ago i originally saw one of those like 9-11 docos and then that same night watched a jfk doco from this one guy who was like feeding me all this stuff and i like just ate it up at first because it just I don't know, I guess I've always had a predisposition to unconventional thought. Like I was raised in a family that, you know, 
that marijuana was around a lot and um, there was just a lot of aspects you know my dad my dad's an artist and a musician like I, I always felt as if um my take on the world was weirder or different to a lot of the people around me I guess and also politically I was always very anti anti-government I guess or just I was I had some political inclinations and this wasn't really from my parents so much like my dad was never really like pushing politics on me but again he just has different ways of looking at the world um, so when I got into this conspiracy stuff, it just seemed to make so much sense. Like it, it seemed like a really, I wouldn't say easy answer, but just like it, it wrapped it up nicely. Like, yeah, the world's run by fucking evil people, you know? And then as the different ones that have came into play, I wasn't very spiritual at the time, but after so spirituality entered my life, then other aspects of these um, conspiracies, I mean, you've got like the chemtrails and you've got just heaps of various things like that are in your things. Fluoride, yeah, that's a good example. Fluoride and vaccines, you know, because it, it, when I was getting to health as well, this alternate take on health. Now yeah, I MSG as well. MSG, yeah. Uh, but and also I got, got into some some health guys like there's this dude Kevin Trudeau or something like Trudeau, who's like has cures natural cures they don't want you to know about, and his audiobooks, like he's an angry dude in his audiobook in the way he delivers it. He's like it's all about the money, da 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 da. Now. It all makes a lot of sense to me in that regard, but because I've never really done the research, like I'm not one of those people who, when they hear that thing, goes and checks out the fucking um, peer-reviewed studies and stuff. I just like obviously I just don't care enough in my my uh, certainty, or I just don't invest enough time to find that out. So uh, as the years have gone on, I've met people who seem to contradict these these uh, these ways of these conclusions. And they seem to contradict them quite well. And so I'm often swaying back and forth. Like, I guess in my heart of hearts, like, there's some part of me that for some weird reason wants most of them to be true. Um, maybe just because I've espoused them enough times that um, it kind of feels silly being wrong after the fact. But, um, but then, you know, there does seem to be a lot of truth to them. And I just, yeah, have you, have you pushed back against those things like have you spoken to people who have who i say vaccine like pro-vaccine and that kind of thing and and found any of their arguments convincing or is there just always been a kind of um there's there's some things that no matter what people are going to push towards me um i just know in my heart in my heart of hearts that you know what the truth is um but then there's things like JFK, like I've seen, everyone knows that um, What's-His-Face didn't shoot him from the grassy knoll. Yeah. But then there's like, I've seen one video where the driver, like the whole thing is like the driver shot JFK he turns around and you can see him turn around and go like this. And then there's Trick you know, shot. a shot and then he turns back around, drops the gun kind of thing really fast. And then recently I've seen another, the same kind of thing, but um, his wife sh shoots him and you can actually see <laughs> Jackie, Jackie shot him. <laughs> Ah, oh, never trust. But this man. is like the real, the proper, the proper film, and then you can see the part repeated over and over again, and and she goes, she puts the gun up like this, and he goes like that, 
and then she tries to jump out. She kind of drops the gun and tries to jump over the back. And it's really like when you watch the same little loop over and over again, it becomes quite convincing. Mm. It's interesting that... uh, And then the smoke goes up like this. The smoke from the gun rises up. And do you feel like that you're getting closer towards the truth or do you feel like um, based on what explanation is being given, you're able to see various versions of it? Well, things like this, you, you, don't, have to, you don't have to know who actually did, did it. Yeah. We just know that the CIA did it, that it was like, you know? Hmm. It was we, fishy and dodgy. We don't actually know who... We don't know all the people who did 9-11, but we know that it's that the official story is not the proper story. Hmm. You know? That's something that I, I bring up a fair bit in, in, in that, um, yeah, like the fact that the official story is is quite ridiculous when, when looked under a microscope or looked under a magnifying glass or whatever should be enough to break, uh, break a kind of perception about how the world works, I mm, guess. Yeah. Um, it's not, like you said, it's not enough to be certain about the facts. It's not enough to say Alex Jones is absolutely right or that, you know, the lizards are, are in control. Like, you, I find it personally difficult to make those conclusion certainties. Um, but, but it, yeah, it, it, I think it's important for people to free up their their minds a little bit um, to the craziness of the world and, mm. <laughs> and how much you're being lied to, I guess. I think my um, my goal or aim through make, doing music on these topics are to try and make people pull their plug out of the socket of the system and to be more self-reliant, more self-sufficient, more focused on how they can help their communities or be a part of something without relying on the power supply from the power. Something else with lies so nice that end in plundered wealth and patents that spread in a way few can trace to poison the third world and slay the human race. And the guise of progress, but it's manipulation, the scraping hand, raping lands, and crippling nations. And what about this theory? There's a chance, go figure. More carbon in the atmosphere makes plants grow bigger. Crazy, huh? That's not what we're all taught, but many lies live on while many truths fall short.
Remember, the best kind of garden is an organic garden. Chemical pesticides and herbicides which support unethical, destructive and corrupt companies ruin your soil and eventually your health. Also, when you dig up your lawn, don't sell your lawnmower because one day you may need to convert it into a generator. That's a really good point to make because I, I had a friend who was quite invested in conspiracy stuff and um, it, my criticism of him wasn't that he believed the things, it was that um, he seemed, seemed to want to stay in um, that early phase of conspiracy stuff. Like when you first get into conspiracies, it's, oh my God, you want to devour all the, the fuckers of the world. But it gets to a point where, like you say, it's like it's time to pull the plug and, and move on and be creative and positive in, in the world. Like um, I was speaking to an activist uh, girl the other day who was, who was having trouble um, within herself because when she'd come to this world of, of the city and stuff, she would just be looking at, at products in the supermarket and she'd be filled with such anger or revulsion and, and just people using single-use items, you know, like just it would just infuriate her and it was making her really unhappy. Um, but when she would go out to the activist sites, um, she'd get really unhappy because she like felt like all they were talking about was how fucked the world was. And my... Um, wonder is like these people I think it's important that they exist like uh, there are people out there saving forests right now there are people doing certain like with the fracking stuff in the Kimberleys and stuff like I think they had some success you know like and without these these people there um, mining companies certain interests will just run rampant so they're very important people um, but is is it possible for them to exist without the unbalanced um, emotional states that that causes, like this feeling of um, does an activist have to be completely outraged all the time to motivate themselves to go out there and do those things, or is there a is there a, a ground where yeah they can be at peace with themselves and the world but still want to create the positive change? I guess. Uh, personally, I think that um, like activism is something like physical activism is quite full on and you need to ha you need to be you need to be a certain person and you know to to do that continuously and i think not everyone can do it but everyone can do it for a short period of time so the idea i reckon is that say if everyone spends 2 years of their life focused on activism once they maybe you spend a year or two um, going through a conspiracy and then you're like we've got to stop it for the next few years and then after that it's like I've just really got to focus on myself, I've got to focus on my family and people and so if everyone has that same rough timeline then there's someone doing that thing all the time for you know a decent length of time it's like you know everyone has to do that chore in their life yeah it's like the israeli army like yeah. conscription thing like when you turn 18 i reckon it should be yeah you turn 18 you can't go to school i don't think you should be, able to go to be an activist no well i think you have to travel 
I think it's like it's enforced. You, you're just not allowed to be in Australia for for 12 months after you finish high school. Then when you get back, it's like yeah, then yeah, now you have to like we'll put you on a government payment. Um, you have to go out there and, and fight for a cause that you believe is right. And I guess uh, the difficult thing being that you know some people would fight for the cause of fuck the forest. <laughs> so you have know, all these like activists on the side of the on the corporations, which might be a little bit counterproductive to what we're talking about. <laughs> but um, yeah, it would be nice if everybody agreed pretty much with everything I think and just did activist mm. stuff along those lines. That would help me theoretically. <laughs> like I'm I'm in a stage at my life where I've come from when I was doing that all this music to bring down the new world order type stuff. Yeah. I was kind of fearless and was willing to, I guess maybe I was coming from a depression type mode mm-hmm. where I didn't care about myself that much and was willing to sacrifice myself and my talents to you know, get some kind of big job done. Like I was going to, I was putting myself on the line. I was ready to go to jail. I was like... You're ready for the guys to knock on the door and... Yeah. Because then you'd be a martyr and the message would travel even further. Yeah. But then that's the ego, isn't it? Somewhat. Like then crush the ego and is the motivation still there to, to be that be that massive force for change or just be be the martyr hmm. um i don't know uh, perhaps qed over here would have a different perspective on it but um i'd say there's a bit of bit of both going on what do you think yeah, i don't know e- ego stuff is so interesting i guess it depends on what particular um style of ego that you're describing with the word but I think fundamentally you could have your ego in control and still behave in the same way. Like, uh, I don't think it can necessarily be perceived from the outside or from your behaviour or whatever. It's obvious when it's your motivation, uh, but it's... Or it can be obvious when it's your motivation, but it's not necessarily obvious when it's not your motivation, I Mm. suppose. And uh, I guess that's a big thing in, in the East. With Taoism and such, they don't have much activism because the... The underlying spiritual roots are all about acceptance and sort of going with the flow. So I guess if you reverted from this massively overreactive ego style of lifestyle, then the natural reaction would be, I guess, the op- opposite of that and more of a uh, go with the flow kind of thing. Mm. Uh, in which case it would be hard to continue to pursue like radical change or whatever. But I don't know if it's part of your nature. Like uh, it, when I tried to stop writing, like I could do it for a little while, yeah. but then after a while, like it's just part of my nature, I had to do it. So, uh, uh, yeah, I think that would happen with, you know, you're talking about how some people are just made to be activists or whatever. I think, uh, it, yeah, it's part of their their framework, their schematic or whatever. It will just come out, yeah, maybe not in a conventional sense or in the in a in an obvious sense, but it'll always be this mm. this thing that's changed, that's grow, whatever. Well, um, this woman's fear in particular was that she'd become one of those jaded activists, was the way she described it. So um, looking at people who've been doing it for a long time and seeing how it's so difficult for them and, and the change they get is, I guess, 
seemingly small or whatever. Um, and she was just faced with this prospect of like, I want, I really want to do this and compelled, like you're saying, like it's her nature. She, she is an activist. She has to do this. Um, but yeah, I think she was really try trying to come to grips with the fact that like, how can she do it um, without, yeah, without being unhappy and then and eventually kind of feeling like she's wasted her time doing it. Uh, perhaps you would suggest outcomes being taken away from the situation yeah, might help. Totally. Mm. But I also think that a lot of a lot of activism doesn't do anything. Like yesterday, I saw um, like a march in town. It was like stop violence against women or something, mm. and there was heaps of police. They shut the road, and I don't know, maybe a hundred people. This, they're not changing the. They're not changing anything. Everyone, it, bystanders are like, oh yeah, interesting. Carry on with your day. Well, and like, there's, there's no. The, well, yeah. Where's that? Where is the line between uh, awareness raising? Like, what, what is what is effective awareness mm. raising of an issue? Like, is it currently in Australia um, that people aren't aware that you shouldn't? commit violence or rape women like is that is that a, a generalized thing that that this protest will now make a whole bunch of people go oh 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 okay okay so that's I, an I issue hit my wife tonight then yeah and and I, now like, i know that it's wrong <laughs> and this sounds really cynical um i guess in some ways that i'm saying this but it is a genuine question like because i'm not saying that that protest was definitely ineffectual from my out like it seems like it probably was ineffectual it doesn't it seems like a misdirection of um, well, they're doing it for themselves, really. It's a protest for themselves, so they can feel like that they're, they're doing they're something. Something. Well, that's that's an interesting way to put it because I'm thinking about health. Like I often bring things back to the body and and my way of looking at health. And so you've got an issue here where you've got a symptom of like rape and violence against women, and it seems like there's some bad advice out there about the nature of protest and the nature of its its healing effect on society and so they're basically gone to a, a bulk billing clinic and and the doctor said yeah do a do a, do a march in the streets like that'll <laughs> that'll have some effect to awareness and so they're going out and they're taking this i don't know not even a placebo i don't know what the doctor's prescribed them he's prescribed them yeah, <laughs> I'm not sure what doctors prescribe for for these things, but yeah, and so they've gone out and they've 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 attempted a, a remedy or a therapeutic approach that is is mm. not going to work. So, I guess the the trouble being, um, I, I feel with our society is that these people obviously do like a lot of these women. Like I know a bunch of them who are serious about wanting to be, make change, and they're willing to put in the effort and the work to do these things. But perhaps their understanding of of the way that society works isn't deep enough for them to see the, to diagnose the problem correctly and then, and then treat it properly. Or it might be that they don't have the, the, the technique currently to be able to address the problem correctly. And it's a very complicated problem. Like how do you, how do you fix violence against women? It's, mm. or how do you cure violence against women? It's, it's a multi-layered and a multifaceted thing. So yeah, I always, I do want it's similar with, with like refugee protests or, or any any of those mm. those big protests when when you see the guy yelling in the streets about how wrong it is to a bunch of people who are like yeah it's wrong, uh, what what is the application of that? Because I think clearly it, it could have a use. Like there's a use to those kinds of protests. 
Mm. And well, I, I think one of the most obvious uses is in terms of networking. Because mm. you get a whole bunch of people who, who don't necessarily know each other, who are all in the same direction about one particular issue. They might be in similar directions about other issues or they might be able to create some kind of vigilante posse or something, you know? Like, mm. it's, uh, it's people getting together. Mm. So perhaps in relation to, like, a violence against women protest, good, have the protest, but maybe rather than towards the end um, it being a platform for somebody to speak about the outrage, it then becomes more of a, uh, an encouragement for people to network and connect. and Like a group. Yeah. Like, like Occupy. Turn to the person so, next to you and... <laughs> Yeah. See if we can solve this thing. Um, yeah, because that was one of the things I really liked about Occupy Melbourne when it was around. One of its biggest criticisms were the people were like they're not saying anything, they don't have a point. They don't. And for me, I was just like, like, I don't think you get how useful it is for all these people to come and skill share and talk about mm. shit together. Like, to to feel that it is so important right now, right now, for these issues to be discussed that they're gonna camp there for a few weeks to talk about it. Like that's in my mind, a really mm. awesome thing to do. But, but you know, I think, yeah. Maybe there's a, a, pro- a protest, I mean, a process that can evolve without the protest. Mm. Well, probably, but um, I think there is something powerful about bringing people physically actually together. Um, because there's a lot of these, you know, like, uh, I don't know what they do. Uh, these petitions that I get online, they say, sign this petition and we're going to stop um, Ugandans from killing each other or some shit. Like, that that one always makes me really, like, like really struggle with how the fuck the mechanism works there. Like, you're going to send an online petition to... A, a politician. A politician. The world thinks <laughs> that you're wrong. Yeah. Like, and again, I don't want to get too cynical because people, like, I've spoken to people who I find intelligent who seem to be like, no, no, this actually will have an effect. Like, it, and I think in terms of like local politics, like, there's some, there, there, I think there is a power towards petitions and signing things um, locally because they do have to respect their constituents. And I think a lot of uh, local governments and people, don't really know necessarily what they want to do about certain issues. So if they did get 20,000 people saying, we actually want you to do this, they might be like, oh, okay, maybe that'll get me votes next year or whatever the fuck it is. Maybe I will do that. Like if it's a genuine, Mm. if they genuinely can be persuaded on this issue, then a petition might work. But once somebody's committing genocide, I'm pretty sure they're quite committed to this this act. I'm not sure. Like, I don't know. Am Am I being too cynical? Well, when guns don't work, Words seldom work. (laughs) And petitions never work. (laughs) Like, how can you make a petition... Like, how many people are in Australia? Uh, 22, 23 million, 25 million, maybe. This is the wrong... Refugees don't count. The thing with (laughs) online petitions are that there's never enough numbers to, to make it look effective. Mm. For the people they're trying to change. Oh, because the numbers don't mean anything. I can make my own petition with 50,000 people in it, like, tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, like, we need a, a new election or a, whatever. Yeah. And then, platform. And then there's 20,000 people sign it. And then the government, look, oh, well, 20,000 people, that's like 0.0001 of the population. <laughs> that doesn't mean anything. And most of those people don't even vote. <laughs> <laughs> 
Most of the people don't even vote. <laughs> like, that, that, well, that's an interesting one for me because I've been talking to people about um, whether to vote or not, uh, depending on how how much you want to free yourself up from the system and sovereignty and, and that kind of thing. What's your do you, do you? I mean, obviously, you live outside of your country, but um, do you feel it's important for people to vote? Um, I didn't think so until. Um, New Zealand's quite different because there are actual um, normal people and activists getting into parliament now mm. in New Zealand because of um, it's one of the only countries that have a mixed member parliament. Meaning? Meaning that the party, even if um, the MP for the area is not voted into parliament and the party gets votes then the mem- the members from that party can get in as well even if they're not voted in in, in their oh, in their seat in the, yeah so if across the national board they get a certain amount of votes yeah. then they get an elected representative yeah. that's fucking cool so there's there's two votes when you vote one is for the party and one's for your local mp that's awesome yeah so much right. better it's a really interesting system. So if, and then each party has a tier, like the leaders, and then the 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 most to the least important. So if, say the Greens Party, for example, if they have a few of these, number twelve, number sixteen, whatever these people got in because they're the most popular in their area, mm. and then they got. X amount of votes for party members, they'll just go down the list and at, keep pushing in the, the most important ones. Hmm. And so you feel that then they actually have some kind of power. So th- yeah, well, then there's voices that question the government within the government yeah. from all angles. It's not just in Australia where it's like two, two teams. Yeah. There's... And, and often the two teams have this, this similar desires or similar outcomes. Yeah, they just want the check. Yeah, they just want to be in the power. Yeah. Whereas in New Zealand there'll be parties ha- that have completely opposite desires to the leading party. Do you think this is has something to do with... Um, I don't understand the history completely, but from what I understand the indigenous population, or at least the, the Maori population, were somewhat successful in maintaining respect or power in, in, in certain aspects of the political system? Like, is this true, like, that, like when the, the British actually had to make peace with them rather than just dominate them completely? And therefore you've got, like, isn't there, like, a certain amount of Maori people that have to be in, in power? Or, like, there's, like, some political seats that have designated to them or something like that or am I completely this is really interesting so I want to break it down a little and please forgive me if I mispronounce some of these words I do not have much experience speaking them so what I was referring to here are the Maori electorates which are known as the Maori seats now according to Wikipedia they are a special category of electorate that gives reserved positions to representatives of Maori people in the New Zealand Parliament 
Every area in New Zealand is covered by both a general and a Maori electorate. These two different kinds of electorate differ in size significantly, as the boundaries themselves are very different. So to give you an idea, there are 64 general electorates in the country of New Zealand and only seven Maori electorates, both of which cover the entire landmass. There are two other features of the Maori electorates that make them distinct from the general electorates. Firstly, the candidates and voters for the Maori electorates are all of the same ethnicity, Maori which means there is a clear line of accountability for representing what could be called the Maori voice of the country. The second feature is that there are a number of skills that are essential for candidates to have in order to engage with their constituencies. This includes proficiency in Te reo Maori The Maori language Knowledge of Tikanga Maori Which is a broad concept relating to Maori culture and is generally referred to as the Maori way of doing things. They are also required to have Skills and confidence on the marae. These are also both broad concepts. The first one relating to kinship, family connection and relationships, and the second relating to communal or sacred places that serve religious and social purposes in Polynesian societies. Māori electorates were introduced in 1867 under the Māori Representation Act, and the first Māori elections were held the following year. They were intended as a temporary measure, and despite numerous attempts to disestablish Māori electorates, they continued to form a distinct part of the New Zealand political landscape. And to me this is quite interesting, as I don't know of many other colonised countries whose governments have a sustained presence of the people who were living there before the whitefellas came and planted their flags, among other things. Now, back to the conversation. The story is that they made peace and respected them because they're structure, their tribal structure was very similar to the political system type thing, Mm. like a hierarchy. Mm. So they could work with it. Yeah. It wasn't, yeah, like our indigenous system, which was... There's not one leader here kind of thing where they can go and talk to and then that person, yeah. Mm. So there'd be different tribes or villages or families that would put their their head leader in to the talk. Yeah. Which is kind of the same as the MP for the area, the representative. Whereas Australia doesn't have that same hierarchy. Well, you can't really ask plant or animal life to send its elected representative (laughs) to you. That would seem ridiculous to a colonising force. Okay, so that comment bears explaining to those of you who aren't already familiar with this, but it's common knowledge in Australia that Indigenous Australians were not considered as human beings and were classified as flora and fauna until very, very recently. This comes from Section 127 of the Constitution of Australia, which relates to the gathering of census information on the population of Australia. Section 127 was included in the Constitution of Australia when it was ratified and it stated that in reckoning the numbers of the people of the Commonwealth or of a state or other part of the Commonwealth, Aboriginal natives shall not be counted. The reason that was given for the inclusion of this section is that each state is entitled to a certain number of members in the House of Representatives based on the total population of that state. So if Indigenous Australians were counted in the census, then certain states with high Indigenous populations would be given additional member seats. This isn't to say that Indigenous Australians would have been better represented by this, just that the state government where they lived would have a greater power at the federal level. And given that 
the states with the highest indigenous populations also happen to be some of the most racist states in the country, it's pretty much guaranteed it wouldn't have assured them better representation. The purpose of Section 127 was not to deny census information to the government, but to enact the belief that Indigenous peoples of Australia were separate from the colonists who were now joining together to form a nation. From the arrival of the First Fleet, the Aboriginal peoples were considered British subjects but not citizens. And when the Federation occurred, the Australian governments and the Australian people had, quote, no use for the Aborigines. Actual responsibility for the Aboriginal people was left to the individual states who considered them as native flora and fauna. No joke. Constitutional scholar George Williams has described Section 127 as part of the racism in Australia's constitutional DNA. And while this racism can be overt, it can also be quite subtle and insidious, which means a lot of white Australians don't really see it as racism. To them, it just feels normal. And as a white Australian, I can attest to this conditioning. Even though I consider myself very progressive and, and consciously and rationally, I think, non-racist thoughts, I will still find these incredibly racist ideas and concepts popping into my mind whenever I see people who are Indigenous or from other countries. And it's kind of shocking. I, I catch myself thinking these things. I'm like, where is this coming from? Like, I don't want to think this. I don't want to feel this way. And I start to understand more and more that the culture that I grew up in considered this to be the truth about Indigenous Australians and people from other cultures. And once seeds of racism and this kind of conditioning are planted, it's really hard to stop them from bearing fruit in the future. In 1967, Section 127 was repealed in its entirety, having the immediate effect of including Aboriginal Australians in determinations of population, and Indigenous Australians have been fully included in the census since 1971. However, there are some more fun facts in this direction. In Queensland, Indigenous Australians could not own their own property until 1975. Legislation created in the 1970s requires that the estate of an Aboriginal who dies without leaving a will should be automatically put in the hands of a public trustee rather than granted to the next of kin. Now this is a seemingly common tactic that the government uses to claim Aboriginal lands and property under technicalities. And the government has used this in a variety of ways and to the best of my knowledge is still using it to this day. This includes highly contentious parts of the New South Wales Flora and Fauna Law under the National Parks and Wildlife Act. This law claims that the majority of Aboriginal artefacts are, quote, property of the Crown, and claims jurisdiction over all Aboriginal heritage and culture. Aboriginals understandably object to their culture being regulated under an act meant to protect vegetation and wild animals. New South Wales is the only state in Australia not to have a standalone Aboriginal Heritage Act, and activists have been lobbying for one for the past 30 years. One can only hope that the mistreatment of Indigenous Australians will be properly addressed by future governments, however, it's not advisable to hold one's breath in regards to this. And now, back to the conversation. And yeah, I mean, have you seen that documentary, um, First Australians? Not sure. It's a really good series. It's like a six-part series on, on um, yeah, from the colonization all the way to re fairly recently. And it's not just it's not just the genocide. It's not just the stolen generation stuff. It's not just like all the stuff you know. It's the parts of the story where like 
there'll be an indigenous community that was even led by an Irish priest. So they're out in the, in the forest and they make, they've got some sort of wood mill, wood factory sort of thing going on. And, um, and they're doing everything the way that the white people would have wanted them to, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's running well, it's, it's, it's productive, it's good. And the community's really thriving. And for some reason, uh, people are part of the, I think, the Aboriginal Protection League or the Indigenous Protection League, whatever the crazy racist body was called at the time in the government, came out there and removed this priest guy from from power and just destroyed the community. Like, and yeah, that's that's the really like enraging thing about the Australian situation is that yeah, we um, we've we've really obviously and actively destroyed them like Mm. i don't have until recently and it's weird with this new stuff like i don't understand the issue enough but in terms of this um uh what's the thing where they took their the powers of money away from them the intervention like if you heard much about this so well yeah and they've just got this intervention thing where basically they're taking away their uh, their power to spend the money the right the way they want to and stuff because there is like big issues of alcoholism and and alleged oh, yeah. uh, child abuse and blah, 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 various things which you know again you don't know how much that's factual or not but it does seem like from people who I've spoken to have gone to communities like yeah there's some there's some big problems in their communities um, but there's this for me for my mind the word that comes up a lot is this thing of idea of self determination so like for someone that to help someone or for anyone to come out of a situation it has to like they have to have self-determination they have to have a Mm. a sense of of power and responsibility towards themselves um and i I also get the impression that their their way of life the the way that they would have you know more naturally gone about things is completely contradictory to our system like it's so different Mm. it's not even unless what you're saying with the is it maori maori is it the right word um yeah like at least their hierarchical system could mesh in some mm. way, um, but over here there's, there's just no, mm. no chance of that happening.
Yeah, so in terms of voting, like, do you are you even able to vote back home still? Um, I can't because I've been away for too long. Okay. Can you vote here now? I'm not registered as a anything here. Okay. I don't even have a bank account here. <laughs> I'm like off the grid. <laughs> Sweet. Are you are you self sustaining? Like, are you working towards ways to generate well, power and stuff? I'm planning to leave, but I I was making steps towards that kind of stuff. Um, acquiring and saving things that could be used outside. I got this really cool crossbow of someone. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Have you ever hunted before? No. <laughs> or is that more for protection from humans? <laughs> it's like it's more for fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've gone the opposite direction in terms of power and sustainability. Yeah, I've just gone just rechargeable cells and rechargeable batteries and I can just move power off the state out of libraries and whatnot. <laughs> they can provide my power. Well, it's a different story too between um, existing in the current thing rolling along and, and some kind of, you know... Mad Max post Mad Max shit. <laughs> and, and look, I'm, I mean, I'm optimistic in, in certain ways and I just would prefer certain outcomes. Like, I'm not really that interested in the Mad Max outcome coming to fruition. Um, but... Uh, but if you were forced into it, would you... What would I crossbow? Would you enjoy it? Would I enjoy it? Or just or embrace it, rather? You know, I don't know. The, the only thing that I think would stop me is um, that... What would be make it difficult for me is my constitution and my health. Like I, I tend to like when I went travelling through South America, you know, I got stomach shit come up and like, um, I, I don't want to, you know, use my consciousness to make myself sick, which I already do. But yeah, like I, I, I feel like there are certain things that I, I would find it maybe a little bit more difficult than some people. Um, you just need to toughen up, cunt. That's it. Which is which is <laughs> definitely and adapt uh, adaptability is like. One of the most, you know, prolific human traits, I guess. So um, maybe I'll be fine. And I've got, I've got various. Come well, on, it'll just be like FRL. Yeah, or more <laughs> confessed on crack or something. <laughs> well, one, well, one thing that I've found uh, really useful for my psychology is that um, I, I have shiatsu. Right? I have, I have the ability to uh, be valuable to people purely with my hands. So no matter what community I find myself in or what situation I find myself in I will always be of use I'll have some sense of value to the people around me so that's um once that happened that made me a lot more comfortable with that shit going down now that I'm learning how to 
to fight as well um and i'm getting training like that's that's also making me more comfortable i guess with these situations although it doesn't it doesn't cross my mind that much to be honest these days it was much more of a thing um back in the day um yeah when i was a bit more embroiled in the conspiracy stuff what do you think about do you believe that because you are learning to fight and you can fight that you will attract people who want to fight you um it's too early to to make that kind of conclusion uh i'd like to think that it would come more from my nature anyway like i'm really competitive so i tend to avoid (laughs) competition stuff um i don't see myself really getting into competitive sport fighting i don't see myself looking for fights and that kind of shit um but more like a like an attraction thing yeah well again not really because if i was going into jujitsu with the idea of and thinking to myself now i could go punch on with someone then then maybe but like it's just not my nature to do that so Mm. um but it must be because you're you're delving into it well, I'm, I'm delving into it. Because um, he has to. Well, yeah, I'm training for a film role. But I've always wanted to do it anyway. Like, I've always wanted to have, you know, I've, tr- I've tried boxing and I've tried judo. My, my great-grand, well, my, sorry, my granddad is, was a boxer. And, um, yeah, I like the idea of, like, I liked hearing his stories of him being able to mash people up and, and that kind of thing. Um, my dad, however, who was trained by my grandfather, was the complete opposite and is pretty much a pacifist and has no inclination towards that stuff. And for me, um, yeah, like there's this, every now and then I get this desire to want to kill somebody, but it's, um, it's usually born out of like situational rage. Like, like, um, it's not like a day-to-day thing that I walk around me like secretly under the surface. I just want to like get into a fight and fuck someone up. But, um, you have more experience than I with these things. Do you think that it is an attractor in some ways to these situations? Oh, sorry, I was totally distracted. I was remembering driving in my car and almost getting into an accident with a BMW and hoping that we would get in an accident because it wasn't my fault. <laughs> cool. <laughs> Something you said made me think of that. <laughs> yeah, no, I got nothing. You don't... You, well, yeah, okay. Because I'm, like, I'm not interested in fighting at all. Yeah. And I never attract any violence toward me. Whereas the people, some people that I know are always getting in fights and and are kind of fighters. Okay, I, I got some stuff now. Uh, but even like my friend the other day, who um, is a bouncer, and I don't know what kind of martial art he's expert in, but he was just like looking in a shop window, and some guy just randomly walking along, whacked his bag of books on his head. Just th- things like that. He's not asking for a fight, but because there's like... The energy of that around the, him. Yeah. The universe knows that he's a fighter. But is so, he... So he's sending another, so sending another fighter into... But would you say that he has always had a nature of wanting to fight things? Like, is that part of his disposition? Does no, he... he doesn't want to fight. Mm, that's but he can fight. Yeah, so uh, Bodhidharma, when he... Uh, went to China, uh, he started training monks and he taught them Kung Fu. And Kung Fu has been uh, a part of a lot of 
uh, monastic traditions from then, and it's been, you know, like through the history of monasticism, they've often had uh, some kind of martial arts involved because they wander around and, you know, like they they walk alone and stuff. I guess it's kind of necessary. Uh, but so I don't think the actual training itself, and like Aikido is a martial art, but its its basis is about peace and harmony, and they're not actually doing violence, they're dispelling violence. So you can use it violently, uh, but it's not in itself a violence. Mm. Uh, you can you you can try and punch someone in the head, and you can do it because you care about them and you're training with them, or you can try and punch someone in the head because you want to kill them. Uh, th- yeah, there's a there's an absolute difference in the way that you approach uh, like a similar behavior. So, yeah, M- maybe in a sense, maybe your friend does have some things to do with conflict, like. I'm not a fighter, but I'm highly trained in martial arts. Uh, but I have issues with conflict. Uh, my issues generally being that I, I try and avoid it because I have trouble with my volume control or something. Like, I'm either in conflict or I'm not. And if I'm, I'm in conflict, I tend to be in all the way. So I try and avoid it because I know what the top end of conflict looks like. So I do have a lot of problems with that, but it's not so obvious. And I'm really a peaceful person. I would never attack anyone or or hurt anyone unnecessarily. But yeah, there are underlying things inside of my life that I haven't unraveled yet. And that's a good lens, I suppose, for exploring those things. And probably your friend explores them in a similar way. Hmm. Uh, But yeah, I don't think training... But I don't know, there's physical awareness. And you can see when other people train, like it does leave a stain. And there is a kind of physicality and a way of looking at people that, that you can't escape, I suppose. And... Yeah, it can be, unless you try and hide it like ninja stuff. <laughs> the, the other side of that would be that people claim that um, victims of theft and victims of violence often look vulnerable. So you could argue that uh, as long as, again, my nature or my inclination, my intention, let's say, um, was not to get into fights, my newfound confidence and my new ability to discern danger and, and, and ward it off would actually be a deterrent to some people. Um, but, you know, it just depends on the person yeah. who's trying to commit the violence. So, so I guess on the one hand, you've got people who look vulnerable and therefore they're worth beating up. And then you've got other people who look like they can kind of fight. So they're worth fighting. Yeah, you know, exactly. It's like the, the two extremes. Well, this, on that note. Yeah, on, on the note of, <laughs> of, of committing violence and rap violence. Yeah, yeah. But, oh, yes. We were finally back to the proper hip-hop shit that we, that we know and love. Yeah. Um, my style is the best, and so I challenge you. <laughs> cool. Uh, well, the record companies promoting um, gangster rap because uh, the record company is owned by the prison system, and they want more people in prison because they make more money. Exactly, and the reason why I'm training in the first place is to further my rap career because I want to start playing prisons. I think is the conclusion yeah. of this. Um, thanks heaps for coming in and chatting with us. Thanks I, for having me. Yeah, I hope we can do it again when you get back. Definitely, we need a part two. Yeah, yeah, we need a part three and four. I took some bottles of sunshine to the firing squad And a cup of plum and lime and divining rod I'm waiting by the shrine of God for a sign from Rod I'm also waiting on the ghost of Dr. Cheery Not too far from the coast, stop the fury Behind the salt mine, just over the fault line Is a halt sign and guards with cult nines 
tickling an information base of instant paper waste profiles of an infant's naked face docile contingents in a native race compiling a network of data mail and large trails from credit card sales exact tones from tap phones and map zones tracks and backs of shacks and homes transmitted back from drones crisscrossing the atmosphere below the stars this gossiping track this year they know your scars secrets they have photos from afar they know your cars and they read your registration plate speed their legislation date spread lies to breed a nation's hate plebs who learn the freemason shake bleed before they're paid a stake sending a patron saint from under satan's paperweight with pledges made in hate the head of an alien state dredging a sacred lake and opening the segregation gate an unstable condition ingrained in a mission i had a fatal vision of a papal decision a prenatal incision microchips stapled and hidden all trained physicians insane opposition detained in a prison i saw three angels with them Everyone deserves a fair go, and we will hold Labour to account for trying to undermine that. Being green isn't some sort of election campaign stunt we put on every three years. Our greatest strength is that we walk the talk, that we mean what we say. We may be disparaged by commentators who write us off as zealots, and we have every right to be zealous about protecting the environment. We have every right to be zealous about achieving fairness and justice for all people. We have every right to be passionate about peace and democracy. And we have every reason to be ourselves. The sweet spring air smelled familiar. He tore up his list and threw his pencil into the river. As he watched it float away, he whispered, 
Loneliness shouts in silence, but aloneness is silently calm. In loneliness I have lost myself, but I find myself when I am alone. That's the whole scene, picture by picture. And if we can think of it that way, we can learn from it. If, if we can learn from pictures. The picture isn't literally a picture, but a flat disc that seems to tell some sort of story, follow some sort of time sequence. And immediately we think, this is history. This is an account of something that really happened. How do you sort out the message from the myth? Where does the fancy stop and the truth begin? Those are good questions, very good questions. The key to the thing is people. The wrapping is nothing more than an expression of what the people had experienced. Mere writing, human tape recorders. So that's it for our interview with Jody. If you'd like to hear more from Jody and see what he's working on at the moment, go to www.trillion.co.nz. All of the music from today's show is produced by Jody, except for the one track by Fortnite Productions titled Drowning from the album Death. Death is an excellent album, which is available for free streaming on Bandcamp. If you're into melancholic hip-hop, it just does not get better than Fortnite Productions. If you'd like to check out more of my work, you can go to www.inkalot.net. That's I-N-K-A-L-O-T dot net. There's heaps of free content on there. There's music, podcasts, videos. Soon there'll be writing, poetry, and visual art. This art is from myself and also friends of mine that I admire. If you want to support the show, you can give us a rating on iTunes, share an episode on Facebook, tell a friend, really. Any way of spreading the word and helping people find the show is greatly appreciated. If you have a suggestion for a guest you'd like to hear on the show or some independent musicians who would like to contribute music, please get in touch. You can email me directly at shiatsulink at gmail.com. That's S-H-I-A-T-S-U-L-I-N-K at gmail.com. If you'd like to help out financially, you can go to the donate page at www.inkalot.net. There you'll find a Patreon link and an Amazon affiliate portal, both of which are great ways to show some love. And I'll leave you now with one of Jody's latest tracks, Cinders on the Dance Floor, which is from his new album called Fireworks, which is being released by Monkey Records. Thanks for listening. I hope you're having a wonderful day. Much love.